say this, I feel like I say this a lot, but as a worship leader, I can't explain to you the value and the feeling of just being able to be led. Um, now, that creates a little bit of a practical problem when I have to preach, though, um, because we sing three songs, and I am just, it, like, going for it and shouting, and, like, I'm trying to sing harmonies, and I'm just, like, trying to sing up there with John and Lindsay. I'm just going for it. And then sometimes I get up here, and I'm like, I'm a little winded. Like, my voice is a little dry. Like, I've, I'm kind of, like, feel like I'm out of steam. So, by the grace of God, um, I'm, I'm going to have the energy and the vocal ability to be able to continue to speak to you this morning. Um, but like I said, my name is Brendan. I'm the youth pastor here and also the worship pastor, and I have the opportunity to speak to you today. So thank you all for being here on this beautiful, rainy Michigan morning. Thank you for spending some of your weekend here with us. Um, I want to start today with this. I want to tell you just a quick story um, from last weekend. So I had a little bit of an adventure last weekend. It was very fun. Um, I went to, I drove, this was past Saturday morning. In the morning, I drove to a place called Yankee Springs Recreational Area. Anyone know what Yankee Springs is? Anyone been there? Anyone like a really big fan of Yankee Springs? Okay, I'd never, never been before. Um, it's, it's like right on Gun Lake, if you don't kind of know where that is. Absolutely gorgeous. And what I decided to do was I was going to go for a run there at Yankee Springs. Um, and essentially, this, this is my thought process. I'm, I'm in the midst of this like marathon training schedule. Um, and the way that that's laid out is they give you like certain distances that you need to run each day and each week. And then that, that kind of like, it's supposed to help you work your way up to a marathon. That's kind of the idea of it, right? So my longer runs of the week are on Saturdays, typically. So my, for my longer run, um, on that, that weekend, last, last Saturday, I decided I was going to go and I was going to do it somewhere pretty to look at, Yankee Springs, right? Because I do a lot of like road running, which is like just sidewalks and streets and like roads and stuff like that. It gets very dull, very boring. So I take off to Yankee Springs and I, I live pretty close to there now, I only live about 15, or 15, 20 minutes away. So I throw it in my phone, I get dressed, I, I hop in my car, and, I, and I'm, tell, I'm having my phone like take me to Yankee Springs Recreational Area. So I'm driving there, um, and first of all, I show up, and I, and I have absolutely, I've done zero research about this. I have not looked into anything. In my mind, I'm just going to drive there and just start running. Um, and so that, that was my thought process behind it. So my phone's taking me to like the heart of Yankee Springs Recreational Area. Now, if you know what this place is like, it's a gigantic wooded park area, okay? So my, my, my phone takes me, you wanna go there? Okay, we're gonna take you right to the middle of it. So I'm taking my Ford Explorer hatch, or Ford, <laughs> Ford Focus, that key difference there, Ford, Ford Focus hatchback, uh, down some dirt trails. If you drive a Ford Focus, um, really of any kind, don't take it down any dirt trails, ever. Okay, just don't do that. So I'm driving my Ford Focus down these little two-track trails, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I do not know where my phone's taking me. And I show up, and I'm in the middle of Yankee Springs. I get out of my car. I said, okay, I'm going to take off running. I thought it would be extremely clear where to go also. I thought there'd be like a clear trailhead, and I would just jump in, and I'd just start running, um, and it'd be no big deal. There are like a million trailheads at Yankee Springs, and, and you could get lost in them for days. Um, so I jump out of my car. I'm like, okay, I'll just pick one. So I run up to, to, to a trailhead, and I start running for a little while, and I see this. Caution, trails pass through open hunting areas wear bright colors. So I look down at my all-black running outfit, <laughs> and I realize that I'm like, this could be it for me. And then I started thinking even more about that. I'm like, if this is how it ends for me, 
this would be so silly. What a, what a way to go this would be. Like, just an accidental hunting accident. Um, if I was a little more outdoorsy, I would have known I had nothing to worry about because hunting season doesn't, didn't start till later on. But guys, I, I don't know that. And so I look down, and I'm like, in my black running outfit, I'm like, here we go. I'm like, by the grace of God, go I. So I take off running, and I, um, Rue, you can jump to the next picture there all kinds of different trails, and I'm, I'm running through all manner of burrs and pokers and, and prickers and, and, and little things that want to jab me and sting me, and uh, sometimes the, the trail narrows to the point where it's like, it's like made for a dirt bike. It's not like for a human being. So I'm looking down at my highly exposed, pale white legs, just all like bleeding and covered in burrs and stuff like that. If I had known what I was kind of getting myself into, what I would have done is worn some like long pants, and um, I, I plan to take about a six-mile run. It ended up being about a 10 and a half mile run that took me two hours. So um, that was the sort of situation I got myself into. Now here's the thing, if only I knew, if only I had someone in my life, a close friend, a colleague, a coworker maybe, that knows something about trail running, I could have asked that person and maybe they could have given me, given me a little insight on what to expect my very first trail run ever. Um, if you guys know anyone like that, let me know. I just, I just don't know. But that's a joke. If you don't know, our, our pastor, John, is a trail running fanatic, and his wife is. Didn't ask them, though. Didn't ask for their insight. Um, so I just went for it. And, um, you know, I started to think about this, and, and I think, like, there, there's kind of, a, there, there are lots of situations like that in our life, right, where we go into a situation, very little homework, very little research, very little background on what to expect when we get there, and then when we arrive, we start to have some issues because we didn't do research. We didn't have um, any sort of sense of what to expect. And that's the idea of the series that we've been in over the last couple of weeks called Field Guide for a Follower. Would we all agree that sometimes it'd be nice to have a little bit more information on things that are important in life? I hear, I'm not a parent, but I hear parents all the time say, man, there's like, there's, there's no, there's no handbook. There's no like manual for parenting. And I wish there was, because like sometimes first time parents struggle. I, again, I don't know. I, if you don't struggle, then that's, that's fine. But I you hear that sometimes, right? And sometimes it's you, you wish, like, man, I wish there was a specific handbook on how to do this. And we're, we're really what we're doing over the next few weeks is we're exploring some different passages through um, the Bible that kind of act in that way. Um, and in other words, they act in sort of a field guide or sort of a handbook for certain areas of our life so that when these issues arise, when these circumstances arise, we have a little bit of context and wisdom behind it um, so that we know how to make the right decisions um, as we struggle through this process of what it means to be a Jesus follower. So um, I, that's exactly where I want to take us today. We're going to read a passage together. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 9. So if you've got that electronically or otherwise, you want to grab that a minute for me? Well, I'm going to grab a drink of water. This will be on the screen too, and I want us to kind of follow through this together. So 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 9. Just some really quick context. It's Paul. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to a church in ancient Greece, okay, in, the, in a city um, called Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 9. So here we go. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, 
not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. To love each other. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 9. Now what we have here, what we have here is, you could say, a bit of a field guide, so to speak, in keeping with the series that we're in, um, about a Christian biblical sexual ethic. Um, that's, that's kind of what we have laid out here. There, these are some principles. It's not the only place in the Bible, um, you might know this, that, that addresses these types of things, but it is one of them. Um, and I want to dive into it today. And I wanna, I wanna, what I'm going to do is we're going to start to pull out some different pieces from this passage. And, and, and it is my hope and my prayer today that these, these, these words um, that we believe our Holy Spirit breathed are going to penetrate deep into our hearts. Um, and we're going to leave here changed because of it. So with that being said, um, I want to say this right off the bat. I, I fully understand um, what just happened in the room, where it was like a, oh, it's a sex sermon. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've, I kind of felt that in the room, like, oh, like some of you are like talking to your neighbor right now, like, I told you that we should just come next week. Like, we, this, the center church is not going anywhere, okay? We'll, we'll be there next week. We didn't, I told you, we should have just slept in today. Now, now I, I want to acknowledge the fact that we, as soon as I bring up sex, as soon as we bring up sex in church, or really as soon as sex comes up in any sort of conversation at all, the full spectrum of negative emotions start to kind of bubble up and arise in every one of us. I want to acknowledge that right now, um, that all of a sudden things are, might feel uncomfortable. Um, you might feel a little bit of shame even. Um, it might start to make you feel embarrassed, a little uncomfy, um, a little uneasy about who you came to church with this morning even. Um, but I, and, and, and I think I want to acknowledge that. I also want to acknowledge this. There are people in the room that I, I really believe today um, when the topic of sex comes up, things start to become really painful as well. Um, I know that the, the fact of the matter is um, a lot of us in the room, because a lot of us in the world are hurting um, because of something that happens sexually in our lives. I know the, um, the numbers and statistics kind of vary on this sort of thing, but um, the common understanding of this is about one in three women have experienced some sort of sexual abuse or misuse in their life. Um, and the statistic for men is actually interestingly, interestingly high as well. It's about 25% of men who have experienced something along those lines as well, too. So when I bring these sorts of things up, I understand that things can get uncomfortable and maybe even a little bit painful. But I want to say this. I think that where um, we stop shining the light of truth, the light of scripture, the light of Christ, um, darkness starts to invade those areas. And um, I just want to say today um, that I think the topic of sex or the area of sexuality um, is an area and has been an area um, that the darkness has ruled far too much of for far too long. Um, and I, I just want to say that today. I, I believe that. And I believe as we start to illuminate some certain areas of our life, things might get a little uncomfortable. Um, but it is always for our good um, when we do those sorts of things. So um, we're going to jump in today. Here's, here's what I'd really like to do. Um, 
there are, I don't ever preach like this, but I also don't really ever preach. So it's kind of like, it's, <laughs> it is what it is, right? So I, here's what I'd like to do. In this text, there are three things, I kind of have like three points or three statements that I would like to pull out from this text that I think would be extremely important um, for us in our life today. I think it'll, it'll illuminate some things in our life. And I believe if we, if we open our hearts to what God has for us, we can leave here changed because of it, no matter where um, you are um, in your walk with God or where, where you feel um, as though you are in this specific area. Um, so I am going to, we're going to go through those three things um, and then we're going to pray at the end. So that's, that's kind of the layout for this morning. The first thing, first thing I wanted to say is this. Um, that, that we can pull from this text. God wants us to be sexually whole. First statement, God wants us to be sexually whole. Now, what does that mean? I believe, personally, um, and I think this would be the, the stance of, not, not I think, this would be the stance of the center church, too. So, um, what being whole sexually means living in the fullness of what God has intended sex to be. Um, being sexually whole means living in the fullness of what God has designed sex to be. And let me be clear right from the get-go. Um, what God has designed sex to be is a gift between a man and a woman who are committed in a marriage relationship. Okay? I'll just be clear from, from, from the get-go. That is um, the traditional Christian stance on this. This is our church's stance on this. Um, so I want to be clear. Um, but sexual wholeness, I, I think, can means, mean a couple things. He wants us to be sexually whole, I think, because what we believe about sex affects the way that we think about other people. What, how we believe, um, Rue, can we jump to that next slide? How we think about sex affects the way we think about others. It really does. Um, if you think about it, what, what we think about sex is always involving other people. So what we think about sex affects the way that we think about others. And the way that we think about others is extremely important, I would argue today, to the heart of God. It's extremely important to the heart of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, there's a, there's a guy who asked Jesus, he, he's like, if you could sum all your teachings up, what's like the most important thing, like, like the number one rule, what's the most important rule, like if I walk away learning nothing else, what is that one thing? Jesus says, to love God with everything, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he adds in a second one, he says, the second one's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So as we're boiling these sorts of things down, love God and love people, that's as important as it gets. That's as close to the heart of God as we get. Um, so I think the way that um, as, as we look towards sexual wholeness and we look towards what that might mean in our lives, it has to do with the way that we interact with other people. Um, and I think, it, have you ever heard the, the phrase, hurt people hurt people? You heard that phrase? People who are hurt, who are broken, who are not sexually whole, have a tendency um, to harm other people in that way as well. And I think as we move towards sexual wholeness, what we're doing is we're moving towards relational wholeness in our lives. Um, so that's the first thing I wanted to say. Now, um, the second thing is this. People are sexually broken. Now, when I say that, I don't want you to take that as like a jab or an insult. I say all people for all time are sexually broken in the same way that um, we're all imperfect, in the same way that we've all messed up, and in the same way that we all have sin in our lives. All people are sexually broken. Now, if we look at um, the context in which this passage is written, um, Paul is writing to a church, like I said, in ancient Greece. Um, and in this world, in this time, um, ancient Greece was basically the wild west of sexual sin, um, abuse, 
debauchery, um, it, instances of, of people taking and twisting what God had, had intended to be good and, and making it an evil thing, um, even to the extent of awful, horrible things like pedophilia, bestiality, those sorts of things were absolutely commonplace in this, in this world. Um, there's a quote here from an ancient uh, Greek thinker, Demosthenes. We're going to go with that. Demosthenes. He says this, not a Christian, not a Jesus follower, but he describes the culture in which he's living by saying this, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day -day needs of the body, and we keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. That's the way it's basically summed up. Sexual commodification in their world. Um, and when I say that, sex is a commodity. Sex is being bought, sold, traded, given in, in exchange for other things. Um, that's, that is the context of the world that we are living in. Um, every, every form of sexual twistedness and pain um, was present in that world. Now, here's the interesting thing. I think we can look at that and we go, ooh, man, what a messed up time to be alive that was, right? And I think you all might know where I'm going with this. I don't think we're all that different. I don't think we're all that different. And, and I don't necessarily mean that, again, to like point the finger here and here and to say, um, uh, we're, we're, we're just as evil and just as, as gross, but we live in a culture that's extremely similar. Um, you may not have a neighbor um, who's involved in the sorts of things um, that Demosthenes was, <laughs> was talking about um, specifically, um, but statistically speaking, you do have a neighbor who has been in, involved in marital unfaithfulness, um, in pornography use, um, who's been involved, and in even the aggressor um, in instances of sexual abuse. Statistically speaking, that's all around us all the time, um, and that's just one form of it. Now, interestingly, I, I, I would be, I would be dishonest to not bring this up, a lot of what was happening in ancient Greece was male-dominated um, sexual culture, um, where men are in charge of everything, sexually, financially, and otherwise. Um, and men are often um, the aggressors um, of sexual abuse in that day and age. I think I would be being dishonest if I didn't say that was also the case today. Um, and I think I, 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 I want to say that today for the men in the room, I'm not to accuse you, but to say um, that we, we carry a, a, a weight with us today um, as people, men, that God is called to love, care for, respect women. And I think we've not, even if we're not guilty of some of these things, we have done a bad job of that in our world. Um, even to the point of saying, well, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not involved in any of that. I think we have a responsibility as men, um, especially in the church, to take a step forward and lead the way um, for loving women and taking care of women. I'll just say that now, just, almost as an aside. Um, so again, this, this, this world I don't think is all that different from the ancient Greek world. Let's, let's, look at just, let's look at dating culture for a minute. We have entire apps just designed to link up people in anonymous sex. We, we, we have apps where in, in a moment we, we take a passing glance at a person's outward appearance and we decide if we'd like to have sex with that person or like to have a, a, a sexual encounter with that person of some kind. Um, and we engage with that, I believe, in a far too casual way. And I think that's been so normalized in our society that we can swipe left, swipe right, make passing judgments on people out, people's outward appearance um, and, again, commodify them. I am interested in you or I am not interested in you based on your outward appearance and what I would like to engage with you uh, physically. Um, again, we live in a, an incredibly broken 
um, world in that sense, um, sexually. Now, I will say this. Um, I am not um, exempt from any of the things I'm talking about right now. Um, I want to share with you uh, a little bit just about my childhood. And, and I, I, I say my childhood, my youth, I should say. And, and I've shared here and there um, this with, with our students, actually, um, when I believe that it's been appropriate. And I've shared briefly on Sunday mornings just about my past as well. Um, I have a life, uh, you guys, uh, that ha has been marked by bad decisions, particularly in this area. Um, I have a life that I can look back on, if I, if I choose to, with a whole lot of regret, um, with a whole lot of grief, with a whole lot of shame about things that I did in my sort of high school and younger college um, age days. Um, I can think of specific people um, that I have hurt, not intentionally, um, but that I have hurt, um, that I've taken advantage of, again, not intentionally, um, but that I have taken advantage of, relationships that I have been in where I've been unbelievably selfish, um, un unspeakably um, self-centered, um, and I'm ashamed about a lot of that. Um, and again, I look at my teen and early 20 years, um, sometimes with a lot of regret, um, wishing that I could go back and I could change some of the decisions that I made during that time. And I'm not, I don't want to say anything for shock factor here this morning. I just want to be entirely open and honest with everyone in the room right now. Um, my life has been marked by that sexual brokenness as well. And I see it, and I see it all the time, and I see it in my friends' lives, and I see it in our students' lives, and I see um, it in, in the lives of just people in our church and, uh, and, 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 and even in, in my family. Um, and my heart can't help but break sometimes um, for the way that that is. Um, and here's, here's where I want to go with this, because I feel like we're, we're all kind of collectively feeling the weight of that sexual brokenness in our world, maybe even our own lives today, um, as I just share this. Um, but here's the last thing um, that I want to pull from this passage, um, that God's love can redeem all of it. Um, that God's love can redeem every single part of that sexual brokenness um, in our lives, in our friends' lives, in our families' lives. And here's what I want to really just circle or kind of narrow in on for a moment. Um, Rue, if we could actually go back to the, the, the part of the passage that shows verse 9. It should be the, the second page of the passage there. First Thessalonians 4, verse 9 says this. I think this is so interesting. So Paul gives this whole, this whole really, monologue um, about sexual purity and the importance of that. But then he goes on to say this. Now, about your love for one another, we don't need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in other words, Paul's saying, I don't, I don't need to tell you how to love one another. Jesus taught you how to do that. Keep in mind, we're, we're talking about a time, this is after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Um, Paul's looking back and saying, Jesus Christ... God in the flesh has given us the greatest example on how to love one another that I could ever give you. I don't even need to tell you about it. And I think that's so interesting um, because I think some of those, those events are fresh on the minds of this church because they're not all that far removed um, from those events. Um, but he makes, uh, makes a point to say um, that Jesus has already taught us how to love. Um, uh, the, uh, we, we know in the Bible, it says that greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life um, for a friend. 
Um, and we know from the biblical narrative um, the story of Christ stepping down into time, into the mess that we have made for ourselves, into the mess that we have made of this world, and saying, I am going to come down and I'm going to rescue and redeem, um, not because of anything anyone here has done to deserve it, but purely because I love them, and purely because they're my children. And I care so deeply for them that I'm going to do that. So Jesus steps into time. He takes on uh, the weight, um, not, not only, not only of, of, of sin of the world, but of shame from his heavenly Father. Um, who has to turn his face from him as he hangs on the cross um, and dies on our behalf. Um, what an incredible picture. Um, and, I, and I want you to hear today um, that, that Jesus, because of the sacrifice that he made, there is nothing in our lives that can't be redeemed. And I know there, there, there might be some of you thinking, like, that's, that's fresh. From, that's, that's nice. From a 26-year-old who's not married, has no kids, and, you know, like, <laughs> hasn't, hasn't lived a whole lot of life yet. I, I understand that. I understand that. But I've seen that be true in the lives of people who have lived a lot more life than me. Um, so I've witnessed it to be true, and I know that it is true. Um, if I can bounce this back... Um, to Genesis chapter one, or Genesis chapter three, actually. I'm not even, I'm not even gonna put it on the screen. I just wanna tell you the story. A lot of you can maybe picture what um, was going on at the time. Genesis 3, at the beginning of the, the biblical narrative, um, earth has just been created. Um, everything we know uh, and observe in, in, in our world has just been created. God has created Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are, are uh, really the first couple. They're the first married couple. Um, in that they're walking um, in covenant relationship with one another and with the Father. Um, and it, there's this beautiful picture of Adam and Eve walking together in the garden in pure, total harmony with one another and with God. There's no shame. There's no grief. There's no baggage. There's no hurt. There's just perfect unity and harmony and love with the Father. And in this story... As sin enters the picture, as sin um, begins to make its way into Adam and Eve's relationship, it causes a fracture um, that God will heal and will work to heal, um, but they're going to feel the weight of in that time. Um, and if you know the story, it's a little awkward, but Adam and Eve are naked and completely unashamed with their nakedness because this, this is the form that God created them in. What is there to be ashamed of? Suddenly they sin and they, they feel shame for the first time. They feel regret for the first time. They feel dirty for the first time. And what's interesting is for the first time in the Bible, we see a story of an animal being sacrificed to cover another person's sin. In other words, to, to make clothing for Adam and Eve. It's the first time we witness that in the Bible. Um, worship team, I'm going to invite you back up. We're going to sing again here in a moment. Um, but throughout the Old Testament narrative, we see time and time and time again, an animal is sacrificed on behalf of someone else for their sin. An animal is sacrificed for sin. There needs to be a sacrifice for sin. Over and over and over again, we see this in the Old Testament. And then the most amazing thing happens. In John, can we show this passage, Rue? John chapter 1. John, otherwise known as John the Baptist. You may have heard of him um, in some stories in the Bible as he's um, making the way for Jesus to come into the world he says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What, what John is saying is, here comes the perfect sacrifice. Here comes the perfect Lamb. Here comes the ultimate sacrifices that is going to end all sacrifices. And guess what? It's not just going to cover sin. It's not just going to hide sin. It's not just going to conceal things so we don't have to feel shame about them anymore. The Bible says the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He takes it away so it's not even there anymore. It's not even there anymore. And I tell you what, you guys, um, I think one of the hardest things the hardest things that I've dealt with in my walk as a Christ follower, as a Jesus follower, um, is this feeling of perpetual shame, um, dirtiness, unworthiness. Um, and that is um, a part of my past, but that's followed me in a sense to today. Um, and, I, and again, I would say that one of the hardest things in my walk with Christ over the last five years, I would say, I would say even three years since I've been here with you at the Center Church, um, are moments where I'm standing in front of you, whether I'm leading worship or speaking or speaking to our students, um, and feeling like, I, I shouldn't be doing this. Someone else should be, you know. I'm not, I'm not in a place I don't have a leg to stand on in this area. I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to say. And I, I want to say today um, that that is not of God. I, I believe that is from, from darkness. That is from the devil, if I could say that today. Um, trying to sow seeds of doubt into what I'm doing right now. Um, but man, that's hard, you know? And I think like, there's so many times in our lives where we just, we, God is, is calling us to so much more. He's calling us to say, hey, I've offered you forgiveness. I have offered you healing. I have offered you restoration in this area of your life, but you haven't taken it. And, and it's because you're, you're stuck in the, your old way of thinking about things. You think, you think that I don't love you. You think that you're not worthy. And I, it's just not true. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want you to know today that no matter, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you have in your, pay, in your past, even if they weren't things that you did, what if they're things that are done to you? Baggage, hurt, ways people have wronged you. I want you to know that there is a God who loves you and is ready to take all those onto his shoulders. He never intended you to carry those things yourself. And, um... Yeah, I just want you to know that today. I just think that's important because it, it's this constant impediment to what God is calling us to. He's saying, my son, my daughter, you, you are healed. You are free. Um, and I'm, I'm the God over all of this. I've taken care of it. I, I am sovereign and I am in control over every area of your life. And I love you. And I think sometimes we just, it, it doesn't have to be a complicated response. We just say, okay, okay. 
I'm going to, I'm going to choose to believe that. I'm going to choose to walk in that starting today. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. I want to pray together. Um, and if I could, uh, I, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, but if we could just together, if we just close our eyes, bow our heads together. I just, I just I hesitate to say things like this, but just in this moment, just you and God, just you and God right now. I think there's a moment here uh, that we could step into together as a church. No, no matter where you are, no matter where um, you've been, no matter what what life has done to you or where it's taken you, um, I believe God is 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 breathing here now in this moment, um, and He's ready um, to work healing in your life. He's ready to restore some things that maybe you thought were never going to be restored. Maybe you thought, man, I just walk with this scar the rest of my life, and I just figure out how to live with it. And I think God's saying to you today, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready, willing, and able to take that from you if you would let me. So I just want to lead us today in a prayer. I'm not going to ask anyone to, to raise their hands, but what I will ask you to do is just follow me in this prayer, um, just in agreement with me, if that's you today. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, starting today, starting right now in this moment, we are handing over our sexual uh, lives to you. Whatever brokenness is in our past, again, whatever hurt, um, whatever, whatever background we have with this sort of thing, um, Father, we want to hand it to you today. Father, we know you're a good God who loves us and cares for us, wants to work healing in each and every one of our lives. So God, we're giving our hearts to you. And Holy Spirit, even now in this moment as we pray, would you begin to heal? Would you begin to make new? Would you begin to make whole? God, and we'll give you all the thanks and all the praise for what you're doing here in our church. We pray all this in, our holy, in your holy, precious name. Amen. John and Lindsay uh, and the rest of the team, they're going to lead us in a, in a new song. It's called Over All We Know. And really what this song is, I'm so stoked to sing it. I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to sit back down in my seat and you're probably going to hear me because I'm going to sing it loud. Okay? It's a brand new song. Um, we haven't um, sang it before, so it might take a couple choruses to, to kind of get the hang of it. But in this song, we are going to declare God's sovereignty over every single area of our lives. God's control, God's love, God's power over every single area. So I, as we sing, I just want to encourage you, think about those things. Think about those areas of your life um, that are broken as we sing. Um, you're, you're the God above it all. You stand alone. We're, you're the God over all. And I know we stand in confidence of that today. So John and Lindsay, would you lead us?